and welcome to Neither the Time Nor the Space, a podcast about Doctor Who. My name is David, and as always, I am joined by the timbrous Matt. Hello there. And uh, today, we are going to be discussing the Christmas special, The Doctor, The Widow and the Wardrobe. Mm. How do you feel watching that on like, like one of the hottest days of the year? <laughs> <laughs> I, I must admit, I, I broke it up into two viewings yeah um, I, I don't want to slate this episode I mean you can slide away it's not well loved in the fandom I'll tell I, you that much I, I don't think I like Christmas specials they they are a very particular beast aren't they mm. um, and I, I, I don't think this one was terrible I just think it was average yeah and it the was... thing I really struggle with when I'm watching, I think, if if it's a good episode, I always think we'll have lots to talk about. Yeah. And I think if it's a bad episode, we'll have lots to talk about. And with this, I was just like, oh, it's, it's got Bill Bailey in it. Yeah, almost. Yeah, um, yeah. It's 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 pretty thin. I think that would be my biggest criticism of this for for sixty minutes. There's not actually a great deal that happens in it. And and what does happen just doesn't matter. Ultimately, yeah. I mean, it's it's filler. I mean, that's always the, the issue with Christmas specials. The the the, the overwhelming majority of them um they are geared towards an assumption that at least half the audience don't regularly watch Doctor Who. Mm. Which is why they often tend to have, you know, guest stars filling in the companion role. It's not going to be driving any major plot forwards. The only real exceptions to that we've seen so far, I guess, would be like the end of time part one, which was obviously, for one, it's first part of a two-parter and also part of Tenant's regeneration story. Um, mm mm-hmm. I think that's it, really, isn't it? In terms of they've all, all the others have been fairly throwaway. I guess the Christmas Invasion, the first one, because it was introducing Tenant. Um, but yeah, unless you've got an incoming or outgoing Doctor, chances are it's it's not really going to have any major impact in any overarching story. It's just kind of a bit of fluff between series. Um, and so yeah, this definitely g- goes into that category. And again, like. Um, Moffat's first Christmas special, this is loosely riffing on some literary source material. Mm. Though I would say looser still than uh, A Christmas Carol. Yes, definitely. Definitely. Um, But I'll be honest, because I didn't... As I said last week, I hadn't rewatched this episode ever since it first aired. I remember thinking, like, eh, it was all right when I first watched it. Subsequently, certain parts of the fandom absolutely slate this story to the point that I think I was I was starting to think maybe unfairly. On what grounds do they slate it? Just for what we said, it's boring and just, nothing happens. I think a lot of people rate it as like their least favourite of the Christmas specials, possibly because it is so kind of inconsequential. It's think, better than that one where the woman sings to a fish. Yeah, I would say so. That's what I was going to say. Is like On rewatching, I always assumed I preferred A Christmas Carol. I think I definitely prefer this over A Christmas Carol at this point. 
I, I think it's it's lighter, but it's also I think what there is works better by and large. Mm. Is what I'll say. Um, but anyway, should we do, should we sort of uh, get stuck into uh, the nitty gritty of this episode, such as there is? <laughs> we can do. We yeah. can do. So we're going back to the twenty fifth of December, two thousand and eleven. Yeah. God, that's nearly a decade ago. That's weird to think about. Yeah. Yeah. I I'd have just been sort of like bumbling around at home. Yeah. I was doing a job that wasn't really that important. Didn't really have any responsibility. I'm trying to think where, where would I have been when I watched this one? Um, I think I was with my family because I've tended to alternate between my family and my partner's family for Christmas Day. I think I was with my family for this one. Um, yeah, just watching it in the usual sort of post-Christmas dinner haze. Mm. Um, which is, to be honest, is the way these episodes really need to be appreciated. Like, if you're watching them, as I say, <laughs> on one of the hottest days of the year, clear head, and in, in quite weird circumstances as well, <laughs> in terms of where yeah. the world is. I mean, it's even strange though... to really get into the mood of like, yeah, Doctor Who Christmas special, here we go. Well, that's it, even though we're in lockdown, and I literally have nothing better to do. I did not want to watch this yesterday. <laughs> I don't blame you. I don't blame you. Uh, anyway, yeah, let's uh, let, 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 let's discuss it, shall we? Okay. So we open on a planet which I believe is Earth. It could be something else. And there's a big spaceship that is blown up by the Doctor. Yeah. He's, we, we, the, the term for this is in media res. We are starting sort of in the middle of a story, effectively. Yeah, now, if you go back to last lesson, not last lesson, last episode, that's the teacher in me coming out, <laughs> he he says that from now on he's going to lay low and go back to the shadows. Clearly not happening. <laughs> well, best laid plans and all that. Yeah, I've just written so much for fucking stealth. <laughs> I don't know, maybe he was doing it under a different pseudonym. Hmm. <laughs> I don't know if I buy into that. Yeah, but anyway, so he gets blown up and he sort of gets ejected out of this spaceship, doesn't he? Yeah, he begins falling to Earth and he's reaching for like a space suit type yeah. thing, Yeah, which we later learn is an impact suit that when he hits the Earth, it mends him. Yeah, convenient. Yeah, so when he hits the Earth, he meets the mum from Outnumbered. <laughs> you see, I've never actually watched Outnumbered. I didn't. I, I knew that she was. She must be a fairly big name at the time because that's how these things tend to go with the Christmas specials. Um, I never understood the popularity of Outnumbered. Yeah, it, it. It always. I remember seeing trailers and just being like, "Well, that looks incredibly middle class." Yeah, <laughs> it is. It's just a type of comedy that I just don't get. Yeah, kind of, yeah. Cosy, maybe? Yeah, it's the sort of thing that, like, your great aunt would watch. And yeah. be like, oh, the children are so naughty. <laughs> yes, yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, but anyway, uh, I mean, she's good in this, I will say. I think she's okay. She does an all right job. What I like most about Madge as a character and her relationship with the Doctor is that she... She at best tolerates him most of the time. Mm. 
Like she's not enthralled by him. Yeah. You know, even though, like, the way it's all set up is that it, effectively he's like this sort of angel that's fell from Earth, kind of, in, in, in her mind. Even then, when it gets down to actually interacting with him, she finds him quite irritating. Yeah. <laughs> Which is quite refreshing, I think. Yeah, so he lands in a field. Uh, Madge finds him. Yeah. And he's worried he's gone blind, but he's just got his helmet on backwards. Mm -hmm. Because throughout this first little bit, they never see one another's face, do they? No, I don't think so. He's got the helmet on back to front the whole way through because it's still sort of like the the suit's kind of still repairing him as as they're travelling. Um, so, yeah, she offers him a lift, doesn't she, to... Uh... Yeah. Yeah. He, he's looking for the TARDIS, isn't he? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So then I've just written, she has two small kids and is married to Alan, Alexander Armstrong. Yeah, yeah. She's done all right for you, herself, got that pointless money in the bank. What What <laughs> did you make of the, the children in this? I think the the younger one, Cyril, uh, who we, we meet sort of staring out of a telescope and is very sort of bookish and stuff like that. He's not great, but... I'm glad yeah. you said that. I was worried you were really going to like Cyril. <laughs> he, On paper, he's the sort I don't of child him. that, like, yeah. if if I was friends with uh, the Arwells, yeah, if I went around for like dinner, it's the, he's the sort of kid that where I'd get back in my car and I'd turn to my wife and I'd probably go, oh, I really don't know that specky little twat. <laughs> I mean, I'm going to be honest. There, uh, I was a I was a Cyril esque child in a lot of ways, um, so it's not that I hate the character so much. Is I think you know, it's uh, it, I mean it's a thankless job for any any child actor doing doing anything like that. But I feel like the the actor he he does the best he can, which is all anyone can ask of him. But I don't really enjoy his presence on screen that much. <laughs> And because they've given him like big old fashioned NHS, you know, milk yeah. bottle glasses. Yeah. He, he's just like staring creepily at everything that's <laughs> happening. Yeah. He's, and he's just, and, and like later on in the episode where he's, he's kind of just sort of sat there like a sack of potatoes. And he, yeah. It's, it's, it's hard to get emotionally invested in Cyril, I will say. Um, the, the, the older of the two, she's fine. Lily? Yeah, typical snarky teenager, isn't she? Do you not think sometimes she's a bit of a dick towards her mum? Oh, definitely. Like I say, typical snarky teenager. Yeah, there's once or twice. When we get there, I'll mention it. But yeah. there's once or twice I've written where just like, just be a bit nicer. Yeah. There's just no need. But anyway, yeah, so so Madge, with, you know, with her terrible driving, takes the Doctor initially to the wrong police box. Which is great. Yeah. I, I quite like that gag. Yeah, especially when she opens it with a bobby pin, doesn't she, from her yeah. hair. <laughs> yeah. And the, doc the doctor's like, oh my god, I can't believe this. Yeah, sort of and like then it just last... turns out it's the wrong box anyway. <laughs> I think what he says, suddenly the last 2,000 years of travelling seems a little less secure. <laughs> <laughs> and then, from there, we jump forward three years. Yes. And then... I, I've written, Alexander Arnold is an RAF pilot. Yes. 
And then I've just written, he dies, question mark? Because when he's getting fired upon, it just goes, oh, we're going home for Christmas, boys. And then he pulls like a face as if to say, we might not be. Yeah. And then I was like, is he dead? What, what happened there? But then we cut to his wife opening the letter, <laughs> certifying his yeah. death. And, and I will admit, I got a little bit misty-eyed at this point. Mm. I didn't expect to be, but I kind of was. Well, I'll, I'll be honest, and I don't want to get too much into this. Mm. I, I was pretty confident he wasn't dead. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, until I see that plane hit the ground and smash into a thousand pieces. And, and we see his mangled, bloodied corpse. <laughs> yeah, especially because it gets shot down by what just seems to be like a bright light. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's so, definitely ambiguous. And also, it's a Christmas special. Yeah, um, exactly. We've So, that in mind. But, but, but in the moment... I still feel like it was well played, well handled. I think I think Murray Gold's score is doing a lot of the heavy lifting in that moment. And I think it's an important scene in sort of setting up Madge and her relationship with her children through the episode. Definitely. I mean, it kind of, yeah, it really sets up the central tension of, of, of the story, which is it's Christmas, but she doesn't want to tell them mm. that uh, that he's died because she doesn't want that to, like, ruin Christmas forever. Exactly. <laughs> And Which... it's impossible to ruin Christmas when you're going to Ungle Digby's house. <laughs> yeah. So, big old house in the country. Yeah. So, imagine the two kids are going to stay with Uncle Digby. Uh, you know, they need to get out the city because obviously we're in the war now. Although, I think they, they do say, like, I think Uncle Digby has passed on at this point. Oh, right. I th- which is why we never see him. I think it's just like... It's a house in the family, and it's a safe place for them to go away from the bombing. Now, how many times has the Doctor been in World War Two? Oh, I couldn't even begin to count. And, you know, <laughs> if you can't cross your own time stream, stop going back <laughs> to specifically the start of World War Two. <laughs> I feel he like... spends more time there than he does in modern day Cardiff. I feel like yeah, during the period of of the Second World War in Britain, pretty much anyone could could standing anywhere in 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 the country could throw a stone and probably hit an incarnation of the Doctor. Yeah, he's everywhere. He's just, just all over the place. But anyway, you know, did... and this is me casting a casual eye. I could give you three examples. <laughs> yeah. But having said that, um, you know, he's there for a very particular mission. When, I forget exactly, that they basically set up that, you know, Madge thinks he's almost like an angel that's fallen to earth. And she asks him, what if I need you again? And he says, just make a wish. Yeah. Cut to a few years later, the kids are making a wish with a with a wishbone at dinner. and uh, And then, yeah. yes, here we are. The doctor's here. So, uh, so they're calling... wishing for their dad to be home for Christmas, aren't they? Yes. Yeah. yeah. And then we get this sort of. Uh, so he's he he claims he's the caretaker of the building. Mm-hmm. And we get this whirlwind tour that I have put in my notes is basically maximum eleventh doctor. 
Yeah. See, I've just written, do we need this? <laughs> I think we do. I think it's it's emotionally important to understanding the 11th Doctor. The reason I say this is very typically 11th Doctor is one of the key aspects of his characterization is that he has this tendency to overcompensate and plaster over sadness with humour and distraction and, and and all of that. It, this is him sort of like being like, okay, everyone's going to be sad. Uh, their dad's dead. I am going to make sure this is the best Christmas ever um, and, you know, we're just going to paper over all that sadness. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I, I just think... If instead of like this silly OTT Christmas, if he did like your Hallmark Christmas card traditional Christmas, yeah, you know, and just did like instead of like a silly nice thing, he just did a really nice thing, yeah, I think that would have had more sway with me. I absolutely, but the point is that's not the 11th Doctor, that's not how he rolls. This is the Doctor who cannot walk past a fez without putting it on his head. Yeah. This is fish fingers and custard. That That's the kind of Doctor that he is. Is is that he... And, and it is a performance. Deep down, if you peel away all of that surface level silliness, he is an incredibly sad, broken old man. But it's... he, As I say, he's just kind of pasting over that. With um, with with all of this frivolousness, so I think it's. But I I can see how that's annoying. I think it's kind of supposed to be. I mean, Madge is incredibly annoyed by it by the end of it. You know, when by the time he gets to the kids' room and he's just like sort of reading off this incredible list of of you know toys and 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 games and distractions and things, and she just says, "Where's the beds?" Yeah, <laughs> you know, it's like, well, you know, it's not infinite space. I had to make sacrifices, and then of course reveals that he's he's made up for that with hammocks that descend from the ceiling. But you know, yeah. So I I think we are meant to think, God, this is a bit much, isn't it? Mm. Now at this point, Madge explains to the Doctor that I keep calling him Alexander Arnold uh, uh, Armstrong. Armstrong, because we... I don't think we hear his name till right at the end. I think it's Reg. It is Reg. Yeah. I, I forgot. Alexander Armstrong, he's in Doctor Who already, isn't he? Is he? He's the voice of the computer in Sarah Jane Adventures. Is he? I hadn't yeah. made that connection. Yeah. Right. Uh, Mr. Smith. I didn't realise that. Yeah. Well, there you go. I mean, he's not the only. I, for, actor. I forgot to ask at the start. Did you watch Sarah Jane Adventures this weekend? The uh, what? The uh, the YouTube thingy. It was the farewell. Yeah, farewell, Sarah, Sarah Jane. Jane. I haven't I haven't brought myself to watch it yet. Actually, um, I'm quite cautious about it just because one, I've not seen all of Sarah Jane Adventures. I've only seen the episode we watched for the podcast, and I am planning eventually one day to watch it all. So I kind of. Part of me maybe wanted to save it for then. And also, everyone has just been talking about how sad it's made them. And I'm like, I don't really need that right now. I, I think, because we're in a period between series, I think we should watch it before we watch the next series. Sure. Okay, we can we can 
Uh, we can maybe watch it and talk about it. Uh, and we'll just tie week. up the whole Sarah Jane Adventures mess. <laughs> Do you think... I just feel like it's going to be a load of references to stuff I haven't seen. Maybe it won't yeah, be. I don't know, because obviously it was made following the actresses. Was it Elizabeth Sladen? Yeah, she died quite a few years ago at this point. Yeah, so so I think it might just be a nice overall sort of tribute thing to her and the character. Maybe, yeah. Well, we'll, 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 I'll I'll watch it and we'll talk about it um, next week when we're doing our our Series 6 wrap-up. Yeah, all right, we'll do it that way. We'll just sort of drop it in. Yeah. And, um, yes, I forgot what we were talking about now. Oh, yeah, so Alexander Armstrong. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, Madge tells the doctor. We haven't talked about it yet uh, as well the fact that he's playing an airman again, and obviously, you know, uh, with uh, the Armstrong and Miller show, they they had those recurring characters, the uh, the RAF See, pilots. I, I thought that because when I saw him, I was like, I, "Have we met this character before in Doctor Who? Have yeah. we seen him before?" And that's what I was having like a sense memory to. Yes, yeah, and it must have been around the same time. I feel like that that mm. show was on. So, yeah, it's kind of on-the-nose casting, isn't it? Really? Didn't, didn't he re- release, like, a jazz album as well? Yeah, yeah, he did that thing that celebrities of a certain ilk will do that's just, like, just release the mum bait CD. Yeah. I think Bradley Walsh has got a couple under his belt as well. All your quiz yeah. show hosts. Sooner what or later. what do you make of Captain Tom Moore? He's the oldest UK number one of all time now. Is he? I mean, I, yeah. I pay no attention to. I, I I remember hearing about him doing laps in his garden to raise yeah. money for the NHS. Which can I just say? Okay, maybe I might cut this out because this is just a political rant. But okay, I I am not criticizing uh, Tom Moore for doing that. That's brilliant, fantastic, wonderful, and and well done to everyone who contributed. But also. It's this is a fucking national public service. It's not a charity. We shouldn't be having to do charity drives to fund an essential service. Do, do you know what I mean? That, that kind of sticks in the yeah. claw for me. I just feel like why? Why? I, I, I almost don't want to celebrate it because it's just like we shouldn't be having I, to do this. I, I'm going to put that in this week's show notes. <laughs> David slams Captain Tom Muller. <laughs> I don't think you will, because I'm probably editing this one. So yeah. I'm probably gonna, I'm probably going to edit all of that out. But oh, I needed to get that off my chest, though. It yeah. really maybe, winds maybe me just up. edit it out until the point that I raise the fact that you've slammed Captain Tom Muller. <laughs> right, underneath the Christmas tree, Cyril sees a big present, a big box. Yeah. And he senses bad juju in it. Yep. There's something not right about that box. Meanwhile, Lily goes to investigate the house and finds the doctor in the attic. Mm-hmm. Uh, so these two part light stories are running parallel to one another. Yeah, and let's be honest, it really drags it out. Over the course yeah. of about three minutes, basically what happens is the doctor and Lily have a little chat... Um, he asks Lily to check that Cyril's still in bed. She makes a half-hearted attempt to pop in, check, sees that, you know, there's something in the hammock, satisfied, goes back up, chat, carries on chatting to the doctor, 
And uh, meanwhile, Cyril opens a present and goes inside because it's like a window to a wintry, foresty landscape. Yeah. But then... that takes that takes so long in the episode. Yep. And, it, and then... that's the point where you really realise, like, oh, yeah, they, they, they were given a 60-minute slot, but Moffat maybe didn't write 60 minutes of material. Yeah. So I'm just going to buzz through this next little bit because it's yeah, not really it. that important. And like you say, it goes on forever. So once he's gone through the portal, Lily and the Doctor go after him. When he goes through, he touches like a bauble on a Christmas tree. Yeah, I will uh, say, I like... that's an, One of the big things that I will praise this episode for is the production design. Mm. I feel like the winter forest, um, the, the, the concept of... Uh, naturally occurring Christmas trees that they, they, they produce these kind of silvery baubles just naturally as part of their process. Um, that's all really effective and, and really nicely done. Um, has almost I'm trying to think what director it kind of reminds me of. There's a sort of, yeah, like a Tim Burton, Terry Gilliam esque kind of quality. To mm. all of the stuff set on 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 Andrazani Major. Um, well, actually, is it on Andrazani Major or is it? Or is it just anyway? We'll get to that. Um, yeah. Uh, but yeah, so so that's nice. But yeah, he he touches a bauble, and it kind of it, it inflates and then hatches like an egg. I think. Yeah, it does. So. Cyril goes and follows whatever comes out of this egg. The Doctor and Lily are following him. They notice there's two sets of footsteps, but one of them's getting bigger. So whatever it is that Cyril's following is growing. Yeah. Uh, the Doctor also notices the trees are talking to each other. Yes. Yeah, we get these sort of weird whispering uh, in, in, in the background. Because at first he points. sort of dismisses it as the wind, but then he notices there is no wind. Yes, yeah. And then when the Doctor goes to look at one of the egg things that Cyril touches, he sees a tree person's reflection. Yeah. So that took us about a minute, two minutes to discuss, about a quarter of an hour of the show. Yeah, it really they really drag out that section, I feel like. Um, but yeah, there's not much more to say, is there? It's like, there is atmosphere to it. But it just takes so long yeah. to cover very little ground. So, just when you thought it couldn't get more convoluted, Madge discovers the portal and goes mm -hmm. through it as well. Yeah. Well, uh, inevitably Cyr bound to happen. Cyril discovers a lighthouse and goes in it. And again, the design, I love the look of this lighthouse because it's, it's, well, it's, it's sort of like a lighthouse. It's a, it's a circular tower uh, but at the top of it it's like a geodesic dome yeah it's got the crystal dome from the crystal maze on top. yeah really pretty really like that design choice so when cyril goes inside i'll just put he sees groot sat on a throne yeah it kind of is groot isn't it <laughs> yeah like so it's groot. just a wooden man yep so cyril begins to climb the tower i what what the fuck, Cyril? Trying to get out of this. What is he doing? He is a naturally curious little boy. I tell you what, a little bit more of 
physical discipline would have sorted Cyril out. <laughs> you were you know, having a go at me. Look, it was and... the 40s. This was a different time. It was all right to smack your kids. <laughs> I don't think that's how it works. I don't think I don't think that retroactively, oh, because things terrible things happened at a different time, therefore it was totally okay. Like you can, you know, are you going to tell me like, oh, slavery was fine because they did it back then? We wouldn't do it now, but you know, no, back I in know. the day, I'm just saying, you know, a little bit of the back of the hand never did me any harm. <laughs> what were you also born in the forties? No, I was born in the eighties, but again, you know, it set me right. All right, maybe he should just have one of those leashes that you put toddlers on. <laughs> Yeah, that that might have been a, a a wiser choice, but yeah, uh, it should be tethered to a post like a captive elephant. <laughs> so yeah, he just starts climbing this tower for no real reason, and as he does, the big Groot wakes up. Now, when I've looked on Wikipedia, they're just called the Wooden King. Yeah. And uh, in a moment, we'll we'll meet uh, the Wooden Queen as well. But yes, that's yeah. They don't have names beyond that. I'll tell you what, based on his acting, I'd call Cyril the Wooden King. <laughs> so, um, what do you think of the design of the of the Wooden King and the Wooden Queen, though? Uh, the thing is, like, we, I I've been exposed to better versions of that. Yeah. You know, like I say, I've talked about Groot, but I also, it's reminiscent of Treebeard, the mighty Ent from Lord of the Rings. That's true, yeah, yeah. You know, and I don't know, when was the Lord of the Rings films released? Definitely before this, it was when I was about 18. But to be fair, they also had like 10,000 times the budget. Uh, Let me just Google, when was Fellowship of the Ring released? Well before this. 2001. Yeah, so 10 so, years. 10 years earlier, and they yeah. did it better. But also, I feel like... Um, I don't know, would it have been CGI? I've, it's a long time since I watched Fellowship of the it, Ring. Was that CGI, True it, it was, yeah. Yeah. This is practical. So one, one thing I will do. praise, at no point did it look like a man in a foam suit. Yeah. It really yeah. does look like wood. I mean, it clearly isn't, but... You, yeah, it's effective in the moment. My big criticism of it, I, what I thought you were going to say when you said you've been exposed to better versions, in some ways, these are kind of like budget weeping angels. Yeah, yeah, it's, I would go it's for the that. same kind of thing. It's effectively they're like statues, but then they move, and that's a bit creepy. Mm. But they don't, they don't pose any threat the way weeping angels do. They're a bit, yeah. they're a bit off-putting, but. We very quickly established that they're essentially harmless. Yeah, they're not evil, considering no. they're the monster of the week. Yeah, this week, you know, y- you could sort of say that their plans are justified. Yeah, yeah, and I, f- I wonder if, like, if rather than just because we de- we barely get any running about in this episode. No. What if? Lily and the Doctor, rather than just casually following some tracks, what if they were actually being by chased by some of these creatures or something? And like, it can still turn out to be a misunderstanding, but if there'd just been a bit more of a sense of threat in this mm. sort of middle section, I think that would have made it maybe a little more effective. But anyway, we get yeah. what we get. So then, 
I've put that Madge sees a spaceship. We later find out it's not a spaceship. And yeah. the area that they're in at the moment is a tree farm yeah. run by Bill Bailey. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we've got Bill Bailey, you've got Arabella Weir and some other guy. Yeah. And, I mean, no offence to the, the other actor, I just don't recognise him from other things. I don't think he's quite a household name the way Arabella Weir and uh, Bill Bailey are. And you know what is so frustrating about this? They give well, the other guy all the funny lines. You've got yeah, two... See, I, I'm just looking him up on Wikipedia. So he's called Paul Baisley. Yeah. Uh, and he's got one of those Wikipedia pages that you could print on a postage stamp. Wow. So he's really not done a lot else of note. So he was in Pirates of the Caribbean on Stranger Tides, just right. as a pirate from the yeah. looks of it. Yeah. Uh, he was in the IT crowd as a date for Jen, as a man who looks like a magician. Oh, yeah, that's a real... <laughs> I really like that plot. And yeah. he was in the Black Mirror episode Shut Up and Dance. Mm. I mean, he is good in this. He's a oh, funny he was performer. In, he was in the Horrible Histories movie. Right. And yeah. he was in, in The Last Jedi, hmm. weirdly. So he's just like obviously like a bit part actor and hasn't like landed that sort of like role that's gonna make him a household name necessarily. But Yeah, so he like, was a first order officer in Star yeah. Wars The Last Jedi. Hmm. Alright then. But yeah, so like he is funny in this, but it's just kind of weird that they give all the funny lines to the least experienced and least well-known of the three. So as a result, Bill Bailey and Arabella Weir feel completely wasted in this story. Mm. We get them for all of five minutes. I don't think they even get one funny line to say. And then they No, because Arabella Weir is sort of the other mother character. So yeah. she she's sort of there to support Madge. Yeah, she's immediately sympathetic to, to, to Madge. And, like, Bill Bailey is, like, trying to pull authority whilst the two others are basically just immediately undermining him. Um, it's a good little bit. I just feel like you don't need Bill Bailey for this. I feel like I wish they'd saved him for a bigger role another time. Mm. He would have been great as a sort of like a conspiracy theorist type character or something like that. Like you'd see him a bit like uh, the guy in, in, in Rose, you know, with his shed and his, his research yeah. on the doctor, you could see Bill Bailey doing a good job playing a character like that. You know, um, I don't know. I just feel like it, it seems like stunt casting. It seems like they wanted to get Bill Bailey in so they could, because you know, slap it on the radio. Possibly times. more so than other Christmas specials. This is the one that has like the least high. What's the word I'm looking for? High profile. profile. Yeah. High profile. You know, even there was just the one where we just had Kylie Minogue, but that was like quite a big coup. Yeah, that's huge. Um. Yeah, I mean that's the thing. So, it, like, they, this they tend to do this with Christmas specials. They tend to have some big-name guest performers, but at least give them something to do. At least with uh, A Christmas Carol, they, they you know they gave Mike, Michael Gambon plenty to get his teeth into. Mm. You know, I'm just looking, would this have been the time where Bill Bailey would have been doing Nevermind the Buzzcocks? Probably. I would have thought so by that point. Yeah. Um, um, 
without reading his full Wikipedia. Yeah, I mean, certainly it, he he was a huge name from Black Books, uh, and he left in two thousand and eight. He went All from right. 2002 to 2008. So, but yeah, but he, that would have been fresh in people's minds. And as I say, black books uh, and like stand-up tours, you know, he was a hugely successful stand-up by that point. Mm. So, yeah, a really big name. And it's just like, he's, he's in it for all of five minutes. He's a really nothing. keen ornithologist as well, isn't he? He is, yeah. Just a little ornithology trivia. Just to throw it out there, if you're bored this week... In lockdown, if you've got nothing to do, uh-huh. just just Google owls' legs. Oh, yes, I have seen some uh, some photographs along those that, lines. That is mental. Yeah. <laughs> it's it is crazy, isn't it? Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> right. So back in the lighthouse, Cyril sees a tree queen. Yeah. And a throne. Yeah, and she's like holding a sort of. Golden circle looks very crown esque. Yeah, and we find out that the wooden king downstairs was what was following what Cyril followed. Yes, and then I've just written Bill Bailey's troop cry and argue. It's the year five thousand three hundred forty-five, and Madge pulls a gun on them. Yeah, that sort of summarizes that scene. Pretty much, yeah. So basically, they all put their weapons down because they're like, oh, she's just a mum. She just wants to find her kids. And then she's like, she immediately takes charge with the revolver because it's like, yeah, she really fucking wants to find her kids. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Which is obviously, you know, that's kind of the main motivator of of this story. Like, thematically, it's about, you know, motherhood. And, and all of that jazz. Um, and then I've put Lily sees stars coming from the trees. Well, before, then... we, before we get there, um, so I think this is the point at which we establish that they are from Andrazani Major. Now, mm-hmm. does the word Andrazani ring any bells with you? Yeah, I've heard of the caves of Andrazani. That's meant to be like yeah. the best Doctor Who story, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, I rewatched it recently. It definitely isn't. It's good, but it's way overhyped, I feel like. Does it have tree people in it? Uh, it doesn't have tree people. Um, so basically, uh, the majority of Caves of Andra- Andrazani is set on Andrazani Minor, not Andrazani Major. Right. Um, but Andrazani Major is like the central hub for this empire that we basically don't really see in the story itself because it's all about the sort of like, you know, the the, the, the outskirts where the, this this other planet, Andrazani Minor, which they're basically mining for a particular resource, etc., etc. Um, I don't... I can't speak for all classic fans. You know, I'm not someone who, like, watched a Caves of Andrazani on initial broadcast or whatever. Given the high esteem in which that, that particular story is held, I imagine most classic fans were not happy with this as a reference <laughs> to, right. to that story. <laughs> Because it's in- entirely throwaway. Is this the only thing that links the two episodes? Yeah, just it's mention? literally just name-checking the planet. That right. is it. So it feels very throwaway. Good. <laughs> yeah, screw you, Doctor Who fans. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, so... Um, we start, Yeah, Lily starts to see these lights... Uh, uh, um, Coming up from the trees. And then I've, I've just put in my notes here. Do you remember when Eccleston fought a Christmas tree? Yes, I do. <laughs> just like, 
I don't think we talk about that enough. That, that's, <laughs> well, that's no, pos- it, was, it wasn't Eccleston, it was Tennant. It was Tennant, wasn't it? Yeah. And that, that's possibly the worst thing I've seen. <laughs> you think? Yeah, not just in Doctor Who, in my life. <laughs> Uh, and in fact, later on, we get a reference to we do get a reference to an Eccleston episode, mm. um, which you know, maybe we'll get we'll, we'll we'll come to that when we come to that. But uh... right, so then I've put the Wooden King wakes up, yep, and Madge is told that the forest is Andrazani and the trees are harvested by acid rain. Yeah, so in about five minutes, the whole planet's going to be subdued to acid rain. Yeah, and Bill Bailey and his team just teleport away. Yep. All right. I mean, they've left some very expensive equipment on that planet. Yeah, just to fall to rack and ruin. I mean, I guess maybe they're going to come back once the acid rain has melted everything. Maybe. Yeah. Well, we'll talk about that in a second. We'll talk about that in a second. Yeah. So the Queen puts a crown on Cyril as the life force begins to leave the forest. Uh-huh. And the tree people, I mean, I haven't really mentioned this, the Doctor and Lily have followed Cyril's footsteps. They're now in this lighthouse as well. They are. So the tree people speak to the Doctor and Lily through the crown, and basically they need to get inside a living vessel. Yes. So they've ejected all the souls from the tree, but they now need a body, Yeah. and Cyril's going to be that lifeboat. Yeah. Uh, except he's... he's d- He's immediately struggling with it. I forget exactly how he is. Yeah, yeah. so he's yeah. he's deemed as being weak. Yeah. So the doctor says, "Well, I'll do it then." And they say, "Well, you're weak as well." Yeah. And then they say, "Willie, Willie, Lily yeah. is not weak, but she's too young." Yeah. So the acid I mean, rain. Bi- also, like that immediately like removes any tension from that aspect because like process of elimination. We know who the other character left in this story is at this oh, point. Oh, yes. So, oh, yes. yeah. So, it does start raining, yep. but Cyril refuses to leave without his mother. Yeah. He says, you know, mother always comes, she'll be here. Mm-hmm. And it turns out that the spaceship from earlier isn't a spaceship. It's like a harvester platform. Yes, yeah. That Madge... Dumpy mech. Madge knows how to drive because she once went in an aeroplane. Yeah, I, I, you know, like, this isn't like that pirate ship one where it's like, oh, ships a ship. Yeah, I'm more well, readily accepting that. The, like specifically, as there's the line in which Arabella Weir's character is like, oh, it takes years of training to to pilot one of these things, and mm. she's like, well, I've got British pluck. I don't, I don't yeah. know what her excuse is. I mean, to be fair as well, the way, when you actually portray it, on, you see it on screen, it looks about as complicated as a, as a standard arcade game. Yeah, it's just two joysticks. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So she's driving the platform, and then I've written it falls over, but I wonder yeah. now, with a bit of hindsight, is it damaged by the rain? No, it's because it, uh, uh, the Doctor it uh, references and says, oh, I know that driving, because... Do you remember when she's driving the doctor in in the yeah, car? Like she's she's, a poor. she's she's like hitting, bumping into stuff, and and uh, yeah. yeah. So, yeah. yeah. So Madge does get into the tower, yeah, where the Wood King and Queen immediately put the crown on her, yeah. 
And it turns out that the life force does come to her because when they're talking about weak and strong, it was lost in translation. It meant male and female. So mm-hmm. when it, you are looking for somewhere to go, obviously you want your mummy to take you. Yeah. Yeah. So then this little bit I, I didn't really understand. Okay. Okay. So the building enters the time vortex. Yes. Which I don't understand in itself. But then they're all looking out the window at the time vortex. Mm-hmm. Isn't that what drove the master mad? No. He looked into the untempered schism. Oh, right. What's the difference? Uh, the untempered schism is, um, it's not the time vortex. I think it's just like a sort of, like maybe like a time rift or something. I feel exactly what the mumbo jumbo is for it. But essentially, you're just like staring into pure time. The okay. time vortex is essentially the gap between time and right. space. So, in order to steer this building back to Earth, Madge needs to think of home to take yep. them back. So, from her pocket, she pulls out the letter from Reg mm-hmm. that basically certifies his death. And we see all the little like flashbacks of their life together. Yep. Including the night he dies. Mm-hmm. And the kids just watch that. Yeah. It's fairly <laughs> upsetting for them. But then I've I've I made an assumption that I got wrong here. Right. I've put he was definitely saved by the doctor. That bright light is obviously the TARDIS. Uh-huh. But it's not. It's not. So the tree people just turn to wood now because they've got no soul left in them. Mm-hmm. And back home. The kids are just awful towards Madge about her husband's death. <laughs> to be fair, they're in a very we- they've had a weird, upsetting day to begin with, and now they're being told their dad's dead. Yeah, but they're also like, "Oh, mum, tell us, tell us what happened." They've just watched it; they know what happened. Well, yes, but you know, denial and all that. Um, yeah, but anyway, doesn't matter. No, because it turns out the bright light wasn't the TARDIS. Mm -hmm. And we just need to mention that Reg, it's assumed his plane crashed because there wasn't a star in the sky. He was unable to navigate, and that's how he couldn't make it home. Yeah, But it turns out there was a bright light, and it was the building flying through the time vortex, and Reg followed that home. Yes, so he conveniently lands in the grounds of the house. Yeah, Uncle Digby would be furious if he could see the state of that garden. <laughs> so, yeah, he's fine. He's yeah. just there. Hooray. Uh, you don't see the other two. There's two crew members, one of whom is uh, apparently in a bad way in the back uh, of the plane. But, you know, they're too busy having a, a lovely, happy reunion. They're going to get court-martialed. They're going to get put up against the wall and shot <laughs> for, like, faking their own death, hijacking a military <laughs> vehicle just to go home for Christmas. <laughs> but anyway I'll tell you what he wants for Christmas he'll be getting a white feather the white feather of cowardice <laughs> so then Madge sees the TARDIS and realises the Doctor was the Spaceman Angel from a few years previous Yeah, and she tells him to stay for Christmas uh, but he says he basically gives a little speech where he says ah no 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 I haven't got any friends. I haven't got any family. They all think I'm dead. I might stay. And the thing is, they do this every year. Yeah. 
every year it's the whole, oh, won't you stay for Christmas, Doctor? Oh, no, I don't really... Just suck it up. It's Christmas. Yeah. I don't think we've ever seen a Christmas special that doesn't end with him eating a Christmas dinner. But under duress. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, imagine that. Like, I'm of an age now where the Christmas dinner is the best part of Christmas for me. Yeah. Like, yeah, I like... Well, obviously, I prefer spending time with family and friends and what have you. But, like, I'm of an age now where I don't care too much for presents, you know? It's a nice nice, gesture, yeah. You know. But all I want is, like, four separate meats on a plate (laughs) and a Yorkshire pudding. (laughs) Where, Where do you stand on the debate that Yorkshire pudding shouldn't be on Christmas dinner? Well, you see, unlike you, I'm not a Yorkshireman born and bred. So they've tended not to appear as part of Christmas dinner, just by default. But having said that, I will never turn down a Yorkshire pudding under any circumstances. Yeah. If you offered one to me right now um, and somehow, I don't know, sent it over the internet, I'd be tucking into it without a second's thought. There's only one thing worse than not having Yorkshire puddings, and that's people that have Yorkshire pudding as a starter. What? Yeah. No, Yorkshire pudding needs to be in situ to be at its best. Yeah, when you go to a restaurant and you look at the starters and it's just like, oh, you can have a Yorkshire pudding and a little bit of beef. No. No. (laughs) I want a giant Yorkshire pudding with filled with beef. That is the main (laughs) Uh, any, anyway, um, so, yeah, the Doctor manages to weasel out of uh, Christmas with the Arwells. Yeah, and there's another example here of me trying to think I'm too clever for Doctor Who. Uh-huh. So he he says, well, you know, all my friends think I'm dead. And I thought, no, they don't, because River told them. <laughs> so then he does go to see Amy. Yep. And it's been two years since I last saw He's really bad at that. Yeah, he's and it really... only seems to apply to Amy. Yeah, I don't know what he's got. <laughs> what he's got against Amy that means he will continually turn up incredibly late. But uh, yeah, yeah. And the first thing she says is just like, "Oh, so you're not dead then?" I'm like, "You know he's not dead." But it turns yeah. out Amy did know that. Yes, I thought they'd yeah. forgotten that, and she's no. just te- she's just teasing. Yeah, she's just playing. Uh, and it turns out Rory's there too, still good. Yeah. Uh, I oh, thought Rory. they'd maybe have a second child, but who knows? They may be worried it'll have a time head. <laughs> maybe. So, yeah, so the doctor goes in, and just before he does, he cries a happy tear. Yeah, that's one little thing that, that sees sort of referenced through, this, through the story is, you know, humans crying because they're happy. That's such a human thing. And then he indulges in one himself. Because, yeah, because they, they reference, they, they invite him in for Christmas dinner and say, look, there's a place set for you. And he's like, oh, but you didn't know I'm coming. They're like, well, we always set a place for you. And that's kind of, you know, that kind of almost references back to just the previous episode where you've got the lovely moment with, uh, uh, in relation to uh, uh, Brigadier Lethbridge Stewart, who apparently always insisted that they poured a, a second brandy. In case the doctor turned up, presumably that was also a convenient excuse for him to have another brandy. <laughs> yeah, if if he's saying that, if he's spouting off about the doctor, like 
do other people just buy into that and believe it? Because that nurse was just like, oh, hello, doctor. As if like, <laughs> as if like, oh, it's that bloke, he does madcap time stuff. Well, who knows? She didn't necessarily know the whole part of it. She might have just been like... Um, Oh, the brigadier geez. maybe just said, like, I had this friend, the doctor. He was very unreliable. Never knew when he was going to turn. She up. might be a deep undercover unit agent posing as, like, a bed nurse. Yeah, who knows? Who knows? Yeah. Anyway, um, so yeah, hooray, the doctor does get Christmas dinner. Um, but this is and... one of those weird end points. Mm. I, I don't like it where it just ends and we don't know what's coming. Yeah. Well, like, I know we've got the whole thing about, you know, Doctor Who, question mark. Yes. But this, this seems like a, a terminal point. We haven't we haven't really gotten to the bottom of Trenzalore. No. What the deal is with that. Um, yeah, so there's definitely still still ground to be covered. Um, but, yeah, it, it's it, who knows where we're going to go from here. Maybe we'll uh, find out next week. Maybe I've got a little... Little teaser in store for you. Who knows? Uh, so what? What is it next week? Is it so? We next week we season are season wrap up. Yeah, we are going to be wrapping up all of series six, including this here episode. We'll be the worst doing, series. We'll be doing some ranking. We'll be. I'll be asking you some questions. We'll be getting into the nitty gritty how we feel about the series as a whole. Um, maybe uh, by the time this episode goes out, it'll be too late, won't it? But maybe um, throw something up on Twitter and uh, see if we can solicit any questions. We never do, but you never know. <laughs> um, it's, Who knows? it's always. Uh, I'm I'll say it's Christmas. Uh, indeed. Yes, mer- merry April Christmas, everyone. Yeah. Happy lockdown Christmas. Yeah. A friend uh, of mine is doing a lockdown Christmas. It's his birthday today. Oh, and he's he's having Christmas for it, is he? Yeah, he said, you know, I think he made a bet with his kids where he was like, you know, if it's lockdown whilst it's my birthday, we'll have bloody Christmas. And it turned out it is. (laughs) Fair enough. Well, um, yes, happy birthday to them. And yeah, yeah, uh, uh, next week, as I say, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll get really stuck into Series 6. So join us for that. Until then... Thank you very much for listening, and cheerio. Yeah, no matter what Donald Trump tells you, don't inject yourself with disinfectant. See you next oh, week. Yes, yes, yes. That's, that's useful advice. I second that. Cheerio, everyone. Bye now. Thank you for listening to Neither the Time Nor the Space. If you wish to contact us, our email address is timenorspacepod at gmail.com and on Twitter we are at timenorspacepod. And thank you to Alexander Urban for his smashing arrangement of the Doctor Who theme.